Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There aren't that many things more frightful than the thought of grotesque, monstrous-looking creatures, possibly from other worlds, wreaking havoc. In this one, creatures that are so disturbing that encounters with them could even be fatal. In fact, the unsettling encounters that we will examine tonight feature creatures whose description are bizarrely akin to gremlins, you know, from the Hollywood movie Gremlins, not only in their physical description, but also in their ominous and potentially deadly mischievous nature. And so just the thought of talking about this subject might make people laugh and giggle and dismiss it. But In the very early years of aviation, many pilots, including military pilots, would indeed report encounters with mischievous beings in the aircraft while in flight, beings that they would use the term gremlins to describe. That's where the film got it from. Some of these apparent apparent encounters eventually resulted in fatal crashes. Over the years, most would treat such talk as nothing but folklore, but could it be that there is something to these creatures who look like real-life gremlins? If only a part... Well, without a doubt, one of the most disturbing encounters occurred somewhere off the coast of California in the summer of 1939. And while the potential creature behind this incident was never seen, at least by those who investigated the aftermath, this disturbing incident is highly suggestive of something beastly and otherworldly, especially when we consider the claims of gremlins by aviators from the time and since. According to the account, which was first documented in the magazine Flying Saucer Review by Jerome Clark back in 1954, who himself had claimed to have retrieved information on the incident from a San Diego newspaper clipping on the day in question, a United States military transport plane left the runway at Marine Naval Air Station in San Diego on its way to Honolulu in Hawaii. To begin with, the flight proceeded without incident. About three hours after takeoff, though, the control tower received a distress call from the plane. And then, following that, there was nothing but absolute ominous silence. The already perplexed ground crew became even more puzzled when a short time after that, the plane was seen approaching the airfield, clearly in an attempt to land, which it ultimately did. Then, though, things turned even stranger and decidedly more disturbing. Emergency teams were immediately sent to the plane and, as well as other Air Force security personnel, they quickly searched the outside of the aircraft and security teams forced their way onto the plane and the scene they were confronted with was unlike anything any of them had seen before. All of the crew were dead, including the pilot and the co-pilot who, from his positioning in the pilot's seat, had seemingly landed the plane and so must have still been alive only minutes earlier. All of the crew appeared to have died from sustaining large, gaping wounds, seemingly from something claw-like. There was also an intense aroma throughout the plane of rotten eggs. 
Even stranger, in the cockpit, the pilot and co-pilot each had their service revolvers in their hand, both of which had been emptied of their rounds. The shell casings later were found on the cockpit floor. Interestingly, the outside of the plane also had strange claw-like scratches on it too. And what's more, those who had physically touched the surface of the plane all suffered from a bizarre skin infection in the days that followed. What on earth, or perhaps beyond earth, could have been responsible for the crew's seemingly violent deaths? Was it some kind of beastly creature like those reported by the early pilots saying there were gremlins clawing at the machines on board? What happens if the plane was transporting some sort of creature and it got loose? If that's the case, then why wasn't it found? Where did it go? It's also interesting to note the aroma of rotten eggs in this case, or hydrogen sulphide, something that is noted not only in close encounter cases with UFOs and alien abductions, but interestingly also in hauntings and poltergeists. It's certainly an intriguing and mystifying case. But let's fast forward almost 20 years to the evening of August the 8th, 1955, to a small town in Kentucky, where we find another seemingly monstrous encounter. Billy Ray Taylor, his wife June, and their family were staying with a certain family at their farmhouse just outside of Hopkinsville. At around 8pm on the night in question, Billy Ray noticed a bizarre light overhead while he retrieved water from a nearby well. Although this light appeared in many different colours, it also had the appearance of being on fire. He kept his focus on the glowing object, watching as it vanished over the tops of the nearby trees and appearing to come down and stop in a clearing. He immediately ran back to the main house to inform the others of what he had seen. Now, although June and the Suttons listened intently to his account, frankly, they mainly humoured him. And after several minutes, they just descended back into their general chit-chat once more. But then, however, the frantic barks of the Suttons' dog were heard, suggesting that someone or something was approaching the property. The door was opened, so the dog could go out and investigate. However, rather than running off into the night barking warnings as it did so, it simply whimpered nervously and clawed itself under the house to hide away. Closing the front door and now feeling somewhat unsettled, the two families crept to the windows to look out into the darkness, and after several moments, Billy Ray, along with the Sutton's eldest son, Lucky, agreed to venture outside to see if they could make out what was scaring the dog so much. And after several moments, Lucky noticed a strange glow heading in their direction. He immediately called out what he could see, and he alerted Billy Ray and the others on the porch of the property to this presence of this light. The closer it got, however, rather than being a strange object, they could make out that it was a glowing green humanoid figure. The figure was relatively short, around three or four feet, and had what they described as a goblin-like appearance, with large ears and claw-like hands. Although the creature was green-skinned, it also wore some sort of silver-coloured suit. The figure came to a stop a short distance from where the two men were standing. Then, several moments later, it raised its short arms into the air and rushed straight at them. Although instinctively, the two men raised their guns and opened fire. 
To their shock and amazement, while their shots were all on target, the bullets simply flipped the creature over. And after several moments, it got to its feet. This time, instead of continuing towards them, it retreated into the shadows of the nearby woodland. At this point, the two men turned around and ran back to the main house. However, moments after shutting the door behind them, the two families were shocked to see another one of the creatures, identical to the first, staring in at them through the side window. The two men raised their weapons once more and fired at the figure. And once more, despite each bullet finding its target, they appeared to only stun the creature. Lucky covered Billy Ray while he stepped out onto the porch to investigate. And almost immediately after he had stepped outside, a clawed hand appeared from the roof and grabbed Billy Ray by the hair. Lucky shot at the creature once more, hitting it square on. This time, as the bullet struck the creature, the two men could hear a metallic pinging sound, and the menacing figure fell to the ground, almost in a floating motion, and then quickly scampered back into the shadows. The two men turned to head back into the house, and as they did so, they could see several more strange green glows in the woodland around them. At this point, the two families decided to leave the property and run to their respective vehicles. Then they screeched away from that farm, heading to the police station in Hopkinsville. Once they were there, they made an official report. And while the officers present didn't quite know what to make of this bizarre account, they could clearly see how genuinely terrified the family members were. So much so that several officers escorted them back to the farmhouse so that they could investigate for themselves. They would search the property, noting immediately that significant damage had been done to the exterior of the house, which, you know, squared up nicely with what the families had reported. Now, although they didn't see any of the strange figures, one officer reported seeing a strange green glow moving in the nearby forest. Perhaps as a testament to how seriously the officers took the report, they would request military assistance from a nearby base called Fort Campbell. The unit arrived at the property around 2am, and while they did perform a search of the area, they didn't find any sign of the strange creatures. With the military unit and the police officers now gone, the two families returned inside that farmhouse. And not long after, the creatures appeared once more. Over the course of the next few hours, the families would fend off repeated attempts by these creatures to enter the property. It was after 5am, as the sun was coming up, when the menacing figures finally retreated from their assault and disappeared into the woodland. A report of the fascinating night appeared in the Kentucky New Era newspaper the following day. And in no time at all, the small town, and specifically the Sutton's farmhouse, became the intense focus of paranormal and UFO investigators. This focus became so intense that the Sutton's eventually sold the property and they disappeared into anonymity. Just what the two families witnessed that night in the summer of 1955 remains a mystery. The descriptions of those creatures, however are quite similar to these gremlin-like claims. Incidentally, although there was no physical evidence of the object, Billy Ray claimed landed in the clearing in the forest, the clearing in question was said to develop a circular patch of dead vegetation. 
I must confess that when I'm hungry, I transform into a gremlin, a hideous and ravenous creature clawing at whatever I can devour, and when I'm in that mode, I end up making all the wrong food choices. So hooray for Factor Meals, the ready-to-eat meal delivery service that'll leave you happy, not hangry. Factor's chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals arrive on your door ready to make in two minutes. With over 35 meals to choose from each week, you won't be clawing at the walls, you'll be punching the air in triumph. Factor's flexible too. You can change your order every week or pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Plus, it helps you stay on top of your goals. With offerings like Protein Plus and Keto, you'll stay on track with your New Year's resolutions. By the way, if you think it's going to cost the earth, think again, because Factor can help you avoid the overpriced takeout trap because it's restaurant quality that is cheaper than takeout. So stop being a gremlin and clawing anything you can find into your mouth. Do yourself a favor. Head to factormeals.com slash Frightful50 and use code Frightful50 to get 50% off. That's code Frightful50 at factormeals.com slash Frightful50 to get 50% off. At the time, I only felt a punch. I think everything went wrong. His drug of choice was heroin. Binging and purging over and over and over. Evaluate you, and if you're okay to go, they're going to let you go. This is Justin, and I do the Peripheral Podcast. I have a true crime background, but when telling the stories of true crime, sometimes you have to gloss over topics like mental illness, drug addiction, sexual assault. And I feel like we do that in life, too. So this podcast is my attempt to bring all of these topics that are on the peripheral into the mainstream. So please join me wherever you listen to podcasts. Another two decades later, yet another encounter unfolded with similar monstrous-looking creatures. This time, however, it was on the coast of Brazil. The incident began at around 9pm on October the 15th, 1979, as concert pianist and lecturer Luli Oswald was on her way from Rio de Janeiro to the coastal town of Sacarima. She was going to visit her daughter, and driving was her son's friend, known only as FG in the report, he was making the journey with her in order to retrieve some documentation that he had left there the previous day. It was during the journey, as they made their way along the coastal road, that the pair noticed three strange lights hovering over the Atlantic Ocean. But even stranger, the pair were sure they could see a round, domed craft above the lights. They continued to drive along the road, keeping the lights in view as they did so. And it's here when things start becoming a little hazy, the pair suddenly found themselves surrounded by darkness, making them think they had potentially made a wrong turn. But after several moments, FG reversed the car and headed back in the direction they had come. However, as he did so, the car began to sputter while the headlights began to flash. And eventually FG brought the vehicle to a stop and exited the vehicle he inspected the engine, but could find nothing wrong with it. Little perplexed, he got back in the car and they went back on their way. The rest of the journey was largely uneventful. However, when they finally reached their destination, they once again saw the three strange lights hovering off the coast over the water. And it was as if those lights had discreetly followed them home. Despite this, the pair put the incident out of their minds for the rest of the evening. 
And when they set off for their return journey, though, they decided to take the roads through the hills instead of going along that coastal road. Somewhere along the way, however, they must have made a wrong turn as they suddenly found themselves back on the coastal road once more. A short time later, the evening turned very strange. Because suddenly, with no warning, the car began to lurch and leap forward almost in a bizarre, like, bouncing motion. And this continued for several moments until it came to a stop at an abandoned factory. And despite the factory being abandoned, a bright glow appeared to come from it. And after they adjusted their sight to the glow, they could see it wasn't coming from the factory at all, but from an enormous craft that they recalled as being so vast it occupied the space between one of the mountains in the background and another. This otherworldly craft was cigar-shaped and glowed bright orange. The pair could also make out a row of windows along the side of it. And then, with no memory of how they had gotten there, the pair suddenly found themselves sitting in the car outside a farm, seemingly several miles from the abandoned factory. It was baffling. Confused as they were, they made the decision to attempt to locate a petrol station, fearing they could be low on fuel. It wasn't too long before they found one, and after filling up the car, they went to purchase a coffee. They were thinking it was around 11.30pm. They were more than shocked when the cashier informed them it was after 2am, and consequently they didn't serve coffee at such a late hour. This meant there were two and a half hours that they had no memory of. What the cashier went on to tell them next sent chills through them. According to him, the petrol station didn't get that many customers due to many motorists avoiding this particular stretch of road due to strange objects that had been witnessed there. Some motorists, the cashier claimed, had even come to harm. So now, more confused than before, they returned to their vehicle and set out for home, eventually returning in the early hours. But the strange events, though, would continue into the days that followed. Luli, for example, who had suffered from kidney trouble for years, suddenly felt no ill effects from the condition and was eventually told it had, albeit mysteriously, disappeared. She did, though, suffer from a persistent burning pain in her chest as well as painful, watery eyes for several weeks. On the other hand, FG appeared to have undergone some kind of spiritual transformation following this encounter, feeling much more connected and curious. And so the pair made a report of this incident, and only days later, a UFO investigator called Irene Granchi, along with fellow investigator Bob Pratt, met with the pair and investigated these strange events. And they would make some intriguing discoveries. For example, they would discover that the car the pair was travelling in that night was highly magnetised, particularly on the driver's side. And they also went and spoke to that cashier at the petrol station, and he would offer that only days before Luli and FG's encounter he had witnessed a, quote, huge UFO pass over his house. And what's more, he even saw three men, quote, standing inside the object, and this neighbour also saw the object and corroborated the sighting. He further told the investigators of another motorist who pulled into the petrol station recently and claimed he had been, quote, chased by a UFO. Granchi and Pratt soon established that this incident occurred on the exact same stretch of road as the encounter of Luli 
NFG. When the pair visited the location of the sighting for themselves, they would speak to several local fishermen, and they informed them that they regularly witnessed green and pink lights rising up out of the water at night. And so, eventually, with two and a half hours of time still unaccounted for, Luli agreed to undergo hypnotic regression. The first regression session took place around six months after the encounter on the afternoon of January 9th, 1980. Luli was taken back to around 11pm on the return journey to when the pair could see the three lights glowing, hovering over the water. She recalled the car shaking and leaping along with the road. However, this time, she recalled that while this was happening, she experienced some sort of, quote, telepathic link with whatever intelligence was inside the UFO. And at the same time, she could see what she described as, quote, a beautiful black UFO following their car. And although she couldn't see them clearly, she could see several occupants inside this aerial vehicle. She recalled they had triangular faces and that she had a distinct feeling that they were friendly. At this point, she noticed the huge object that appeared to hover in between the two mountains. Then she recalled seeing two lights headed directly towards her vehicle. Still under hypnosis, she suddenly blurted out, They've got the car. They've got hold of it from above. And she was asked what had got hold of the car, to which she responded that, quote, one of those lights above us, elaborating that the car had been caught by some sort of beam of light. And she continued that this beam of light was pulling them up towards the black disc-shaped object, adding that they were now, quote, entering it from below. The next thing she realized... They were no longer in the car, but they were inside a strange room, presumably inside this black object. What's interesting here is the fact that she had no memory of actually entering the craft. This is something that actually shows up in many similar cases, almost as if, uh, you know, like alien abductees are incapacitated at the point of entry, psychologically blindfolded, perhaps. She was asked to describe her surroundings, and she's described a room that looked very similar to an operating theatre, However, of more concern were the strange beings, several of them that surrounded her. And these beings did not have the same friendly feelings as before. She recalled that these entities were, quote, different and had grotesque faces. She began to become visually upset and disturbed, claiming that these creatures were reaching out for her, pulling at her hair. She described them as having large ears, faces that looked like rats had a sickening grey colour about their body. She estimated they stood around three to four feet tall and that their feet looked similar to those of a duck. She continued that the creatures were performing several tests or procedures on her using instruments that appeared similar to a beam of light. She could see FG on a stone-like table next to her. The next thing she knew, she was lying face down on an identical table, one of the beams of light struck her body, causing intense pain. And then things changed once more, and now she found herself sitting up. Now the beams of light were aimed at her nose and ears, and once more, when they were directed at her, she felt a surge of pain. She would further recall that rather than physically touching these beams of light, the creatures appeared to move them just by looking at them. She also got the feeling, although she didn't understand why, that these creatures were performing some kind of research and that they were behind many other encounters that had taken place all over the world. 
The next thing she could remember, even under hypnosis, was being back in the car near the farm. And there were certainly some interesting details offered by Luli, details that resonate nicely with many other close encounter cases, which perhaps offer the account a certain amount of credibility for those open to the possibility of this. Ultimately, the encounter of Luli Oswald perhaps comes with the caveat that much of the information came from hypnotic regression, with many UFO investigators considering hypnotic regression to be unreliable at best, while others suggest that it is more persuasive than people might think. As we can see, there are more encounters with seemingly hideous gremlin-like creatures than we might imagine. Just who are these creatures, where do they come from, and above all else, just why are they coming here, and what they want, who knows. Of course, we are not saying that gremlins, at least the Hollywood version, are real. Something rather similar to them. Might they exist somewhere out there? When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.